0: This is a sermon given at Saint David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. Visit our website at SaintDave.org. Well, happy pie, y'all! <laughs> it's great to be in this space, as Father Chuck said, to so welcome you and our newly renovated church, and uh, also to uh, welcome you to this high nucleus that will begin uh, our Christ celebration. Uh, and uh, our Welcome Home Weekend. Um, my name is Mona West, and I'm on staff here at St. David's. I'm the Director of Adult Christian Formation, and have been on staff for about two and a half years now. So um, I'm very very pleased and very honored to be here and to bring uh, the sermon this evening. Many of us will uh, leave this service uh, to walk in the Pride parade this evening. And I'd like to invite you to think with me a little more deeply about our uh, participation in that parade. Uh, Pride in North America began in the mid-18th century. Uh, They had their origins in political and military and religious contexts. One historian notes that parades are a distinctive mode of public performance. By marching under a specific rank along a planned route, the parader embodied the group's identities, and alliances in the eyes of the spectator. This seemingly subtle display was complete with ostentatious decoration, costumes, and classically patriotic symbols which gave parades their air of communal festivity and jubilee. Well, if the last part of that description doesn't sound like a drag show, I don't know. <laughs> These are ritual forms of performance, they express community values and sentiments. Different groups often will compete to define and represent what those values are. For example, we have the Rose Parade in Pasadena, California, which reflects the excess of corporate (laughs) America. And then, there's the Judah Parade. The Judah Parade is also in Pasadena. And it uses costume, parody, satire, and original rebellion, and you say drag again,
1: against the dominant
0: forces of American society that produced the Rose Parade, yeah. sort of an anti-parade, if you will. So in the face of oppressive legislation that has strategically attacked the queer community in the state of Texas, especially drag performers and trans people, This parade is more important than ever. Our participation is more than a stroll in downtown Austin. We join with countless others throughout history in a ritual of rebellion, a public performance in solidarity and justice for LGBTQ plus people. To invite you to think with me a little more deeply about the parable we heard for this evening. Uh, that might be hard to do since we become so familiar with it. Jesus' parables were a subversive speech to his first century audience. He didn't tell them for their entertainment value. And the word parable actually comes from two Greek words bolo, a verb meaning to throw And para, which is a preposition which means alongside, to throw alongside. And so drawing on the prophets and the wisdom of his own tradition, Jesus throws these stories alongside the lives of his first century hearers to surprise and to confront a major way we have domesticated this parable in Luke's Gospel is by calling it the parable of the good Samaritan, reducing its message to charitable acts and naming nonprofit organizations after it. In her brilliant interpretation of this parable, Jewish New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine ponders, as far as I'm aware, there are no good Catholic or good Baptist hospitals. And there are no social service organizations called good Episcopalian or good Mexican or good Arab. So label a Samaritan, any Samaritan, a good Samaritan, should be in today's climate seen as offensive. It's ten not to say, he's a good Muslim as opposed to all the others in this configuration who would be terrorists. Or, choose a good immigrant, as opposed to all those others in this configuration who are here to take our jobs and scan our welfare system. Interpreters over the years have added to this investigation
1: by identifying the
0: Samaritan as a member of an oppressed group, claiming that, in today's society, the one to offer aid would have been a queer. Or a person of color, or a woman like Florence Nightingale, who had to struggle in British society to offer nursing training for women of all social classes. Seeing a Samaritan as a member of the depressed group could be seen as a reading by the dominant culture. Isn't it nice that some of those people know how to be a neighbor, just like us? But the closer that the Samaritan was a person of means, able to travel freely, able to provide money for the ongoing care of the person rescued, and had influence with the innkeeper.
1: In first century reality,
0: the Samaritan would more rightly have been seen as an oppressor, not the oppressed. And those of us who have worked with this parable, we know that part of this historical context has to do with the infantry. Between Jews and Samaritans. There's a long history of hatred in the Bible between these two groups who shared the same God and the same scriptures. For Jesus' first century Jewish audience, they would have been expecting the third person in the story to have been a Jew, not a despised Samaritan. And the shocking response of this parable to the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? which could also be read, who is not my neighbor, or who do I not have to love, mm. is that enemies can be compassionate, too. Enemies can be examples of mercy. So, in our cultural context, what does this parable throw alongside us, who are gathered or by Eucharist? In order to answer that question, I think we have to get in the ditch. Jesus' audience would have assumed the wounded person in the ditch was a Jew, and on some level, the person in the ditch would have accepted the care of the Samaritan. I'm sure that many of us can identify with the person in the ditch. The current legislation that has come out of the Texas Senate has robbed us of our agency, stripped us of our rights and denied access to gender equality <coughs> health care, which has left some of us half alive. What if the place of challenge for us in this parable is acknowledging that those who voted for this legislation, and those who agree with it, can be compassionate? What if the place of challenge for us in this parable is accepting care and help from those we consider our enemy. Republicans, Democrats, queer people, white cisgender heterosexuals. What if the view from the ditch is really about the collapse of the binary between good and evil, enemy and neighbor? I mean, don't we know a thing or two about being non-binary? <laughs> Marjorie Gerber, in her book Vested Interests: Cross-dressing, and Cultural Anxiety, claims that cross-dressers, transvestites, people, in drag create a third term which causes a crisis of category that questions binary thinking. And what's important about this third term is that it's not a fixed identity, it's a mode of articulation, it's a place of possibility. Let me say that again. What's important about this third term is that it's not a fixed identity, it's a mode of articulation, a way of describing a place of possibility. Did you notice how the structure of the parable changed when we got to the third character? The priest and the Levite see the man and they pass by the other side. The Samaritan comes near, sees the man, is moved with pity, goes to the man, tends his wounds, and puts him on his own animal. Something happened to the Samaritan and the wounded man in that ditch. In the act of giving and receiving compassion, in the act of touching wounds and the embrace of a half-dead naked body,
1: there was a crisis
0: of category. Neither enemy nor neighbor. A space of possibility opened. The ditch is a fluid space, a liminal space, a generative space, a place to risk compassion, offering it and receiving it. Jesus tells the lawyer to go and do likewise, and this parable isn't just about offering to those who need it. It's not just about being more kind or even claiming that our enemies can be our neighbors. This panel challenges us to continually create a third term, to create crises of categories, an ongoing space of possibility for compassion that knows no violence.